So when somebody or something threatens their perception of competence or that, hey, Mike, you're you're hurting my ability to be seen as competent because I'm your boss and you made a mistake. So that threatens my competence and I'm uncomfortable with that. That's where the bullying comes from. So all that is to say, yes, they can change. Uh, as someone who coaches them, I know they can. They're often very appalled at the way that they're perceived, and they actually had no idea that that was the real impact they were having. And once they understand the impact, which I help them see, they are desperate to change. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Whether you call it the Great Resignation, the great reconsideration, or the great exhaustion. It's clear that many people are re-examining their relationship to both their work and their employer. Some are focused on the intrinsic rewards of work, the meaning and purpose they find in how they spend their time and energy. But still others are focused on extrinsic issues, how, where, and with whom they work. And in that latter group, their relationship, or the lack of it, to leadership, seems to be a recurring talking point. TikTok and other social media are full of anecdotal accounts of employees reacting to aggressive, demanding, or even bullying bosses by quitting their jobs. Many leaders are also expressing surprise to the pushback they're receiving to management practices that have long seemed to deliver results, but are now being called out, by some employees at least, as toxic. With talent retention a major concern for many employers, how do leaders build environments that people want to be a part of and still accomplish the organization's mission? To discuss that with me today, I'm joined by Catherine Matthijs. Catherine is the founder of Civility Partners, a consulting firm that helps companies design cultures that propel the future of work. Catherine's award-winning book, Back Off, Your Kick-Ass Guide to Ending Bullying at at Work, was hailed by international leadership guru Ken Blanchard as the most comprehensive and valuable handbook on the topic. She's since written two more books and is a LinkedIn learning course author. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Catherine. Thanks for having me. So let's start, I I use that word, toxic. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does it mean right now when we use that term toxic workplace? It's kind of overused, I think, but or I think just the the, the word toxic is, is definitely overused in all kinds of relationship issues. But when we're talking about a toxic workplace in 2022, what are we talking about? Well, I can give you my answer, but I'm going to start by saying you should ask your workforce uh, because what toxic workforce means in an office of lawyers is going to be different than what people out on the construction site might define as toxic. So, uh, we always got to start by asking our employees. However, I would say uh, toxic work environments are one where trust is eroded, where communication isn't happening, where people are afraid to ask questions or make mistakes. So I guess the answer is if you have a toxic work environment, people feel it. You know, <laughs> it's it's uh, 
they know it when they're in it. So it's a low trust environment. There's a lot of fear, mm -hmm. uh, probably playing a lot of uh, CYA along the way. Okay. Yes. Yes. And so generally, it's it's the kind of place where where performers are are, are going to be less successful than they would be in a, you know if they were in a healthier relationship. Okay. Um, then there's the term, and this is probably a subset of it, the term bullying and, mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the great arbiter of all modern common wisdom is TikTok. And it seems like everything on TikTok lately is about quiet quitting. And there's a lot of stuff out there about bullying. Yep. When we're talking about bullying in the workplace, what does that mean? That's got a more clear definition. So bullying and harassment which everybody knows what that is, are the same behaviors. This is behavior that uh, feels like a condition of employment, that you have to go through it in order to work there, and, and or uh, that it is something a reasonable person would consider humili humiliating, hostile, intimidating. Um, the difference really is who you aim those behaviors at. So that's why I like to define bullying by comparing it to harassment. So if I'm an equal opportunity harasser, I'm engaging in bullying, that behavior is legal. If I am not an equal opportunity harasser and I only harass you know, certain age or race, religion, then the law says, well, that's harassment uh, and that's illegal. I'll add to that for in terms of behaviors, I have noticed no matter what bullying behavior you can come up with, it'll fall in one of three buckets. So I think this will really help as well. Um, bullying behaviors include aggressive communication, you know, yelling, getting in personal space, aggressive body language. The second is humiliation, pointing out mistakes in public, jokes made at someone's expense. Uh, and then the third is manipulation. So giving someone so much work they can't possibly complete it or taking away key responsibilities with no explanation. Um, so those are the three buckets of behavior. And I have found that generally we don't call someone a bully unless all three of those behaviors are present. And I'm glad you mentioned that there's a legal distinction between legal and, you know, harassment and bullying and what's uh, not. I, I uh, recently did an, an investigation for a large employer here in Texas, and uh, the allegation was illegal harassment. And it was really boiled down to it was more bullying than, uh, than what we think of as harassment generally. But this offending manager was a jerk to everybody. And, um, and basically I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people and determining, yeah, this person's just very unpleasant and, uh, and in insecure and all these things. But the reality is there's nothing illegal here. They're just jerks and you really need to fix this as an organization. But, uh, you know, your litigation's, uh, risk is a little lower than it might've been, but if people start looking, I mean, if you give people a reason to look for a litigation cause, they're going to find one. And uh, you'd be better off as an organization, more productive if you just fix this manager uh, to start with. Yeah, I always feel like it, it, lots of investigators, you know, yeah, someone files a hostile work environment complaint and then the outcome is ultimately technically it's hostile to, shall we say, civilians who are in HR. But from a legal perspective, it doesn't meet the definition of a hostile work environment. But if they're saying hostile, you got to address it. Oh, yeah, there's a red flag. Let's pay attention to it. Yeah. So has that definition of bullying changed over the years um, or is it just that our tolerance for certain kinds of behaviors changed? 
I think it's both. Yes, and all of the above. So interesting you ask about the definition. Actually, there is no agreed upon definition of workplace bullying. So I gave you mine. Um, but there are con different countries with different laws in different countries. They call it something different, like psychological harassment. Uh, in California, we have our you know harassment prevention training, and, and there's a requirement to mention, essentially, abusive conduct. Um, that definition is different than you know a school district somewhere who maybe has include included adults in their anti-bullying rules. So there isn't a clear definition. Um, I, I think something that has changed over time is the understanding around intent. So it used to be that the research was like this is intentional, you know th that's part of the problem. And really, we've moved away from that conversation to say, well, we don't really know if it's intentional or not. And I can tell you, I, I coach people who engage in bullying behavior, like that manager you just described. Uh, and I have found generally it's not intentional at all. Um, so there's that. But also, yes, I think tolerance for that type of behavior has gone down. I mean, if you think about the younger generations, they're learning about things like emotional intelligence in school, something we weren't learning about. Uh, their parents are learning about emotional intelligence and at work, maybe in a training class. So they're thinking about it. So our attention to emotion has evolved over time as a society. And so I think that's part of it, too, where uh, we're feeling more free to talk about emotions and to say that behavior is not okay. So when we have these conversations, do you agree that there's a point where, and I hate this, um, I'm trying to find another way to say it, but where you, where, where people are, some people who are complaining about these bullying and about this bullying behavior really are, are pushing back more about being held accountable, uh, responsible for their own actions and, you know, achieving, you know, whatever their goals are. And maybe some of that comes with a lack of experience in the workforce. And, and um, you know, have we coddled a generation uh, to not be prepared for the realities of meeting deadlines, showing up to work on time and those kind of things? Uh, do you see do you see that as a credible pushback from managers that that you know what they what what people are calling bullying is at least sometimes not not this you know this bad behavior by a manager I think there's a lot of facets there and I'm always fascinated by this question which I get all the time is it just people being sensitive and the question is never, is it that the manager is not doing it very well? So I would say that it's possible both are happening. Someone might be sensitive, but if the manager is not good at giving constructive feedback and constantly focusing on their employee's success, then yeah, it's going to feel like bullying. So um, yeah, I think it's it could be both. Um, and that's something that I always talk about as a risk factor for bullying is if an organization's not training managers on how to give candid, constructive, positive feedback, um, then you could create an environment where people feel it's toxic. John Amici, uh, the British psychologist, uh, has done a lot of interesting work, but the, he's there's one thing he said that is that has stuck with me forever. Company culture is defined by the worst behavior tolerated, mm -hmm. and um, and I think he's really onto something there. And I think it's kind of dovetails to what you just were talking about 
um, if we really want to have a culture where people are successful and we're really going to invest in, in the people to make them, you know, you know, to get a return on the investment that we're spending on salary dollars and, and, and all of that, but also to, to, keep them engaged so that they're giving that discretionary effort above and beyond just the minimum of their job description. Yep. We've got to build that environment where that worst behavior is not tolerated. And that would, that would be including, I, I'm sure that how leaders address other people. And I guess, are we talking about bullying just being a leadership issue or is there, is, is there peer to peer bullying that we need to be concerned about as well? Yeah, so bullying can definitely or mostly happens, you know, um, a manager or leader bullying downward. Uh, however, it certainly could be peer to peer as well as a subordinate bullying a manager or several subordinates bullying a manager. So um, it, it can go every which way. But the most common way is a su superior bullying a subordinate. So are these bullies, are they born that way? Is this you know, uh, you know, native to just who they are, or is this learned behavior? All of the above. <laughs> Don't you just love my answers? Yeah. No, yes, that's great. Yes, yes. Uh, no, so hard what to be I've, wrong. <laughs> what I've discovered over the years of coaching these individuals is a couple of things. One, they have been fighting for something or several things their whole lives. So if I think about the stories I've been told, I coached a woman or a female doctor. She was the only female in you know, medical school, not to mention a single mom of three, she's fighting for validation that she belongs there, whether or not she realizes it. I, I've coached a, this is kind of, this one sticks with me, a guy who's the CEO of North America of a giant company. And, you know, he's obviously made it, but he's still sort of fighting for attention as a little kid to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, and so they're always fighting for something. And then you couple that with lack of self-esteem. Uh, and so they're also the, that part of that fight comes from overcompensating. And so when somebody or something threatens their perception of competence or that, hey, Mike, you're you're hurting my ability to be seen as competent because I'm your boss and you made a mistake. So that threatens my competence and I'm uncomfortable with that. That's where the bullying comes from. So all that is to say, yes, they can change. Uh, as someone who coaches them, I know they can. They're often very appalled at the way that they're perceived, and they actually had no idea that that was the real impact they were having. And once they understand the impact, which I help them see, they are desperate to change. Not always. Sometimes I have to go back to my contact at the organization and say, I can't help this person. They're, they're not interested in change and they don't care about the feedback I got. And that's a problem, but for the most part, they can. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 63 and enter the keyword bully. That's B-U-L-L-Y. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. I have 10 hours of recorded webinars, each approved for an hour recertification credit by both HRCI and SHRM. 
Three are even approved for HRCI business credit and one qualifies for ethics credit. You can access all of these webinars for free at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Catherine Matthijs. When you start first having those conversations with, with let's say, a leader who's, who's exhibiting this bad behavior, and it's clear to everybody uh, but him or her, mm-hmm. what do you do to bring them to the level of self-awareness that, that this is even a problem? Yeah. Great question. I do what a lot of coaches do, which is the 360s. I don't use a tool of any sort. It's just my interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, So here's the thing. What the narrative they've been hearing is, let's say this is a, a VP, they report to the CEO. The CEO and probably HR have been saying, hey, VP, people are saying that you yell at meetings sometimes. And they're saying, no, I'm not. Or they deserved it because they're not listening or whatever. So they continue to justify and deny. And so as long as HR, as we do, gets focused on the facts, it's hurting this person's ability to get to to see the impact because they can say, I didn't yell. That's their perception that I yelled. You know, I didn't do that. And it becomes a fact battle. So where I come in is to say, look, I don't know anything about what's going on here other than the little bit I heard when I was, you know, in my sales call, basically. And probably that's all you've heard from HR. Let me interview people and figure out what's going on. Um, So I interview and I love perceptions. That's where I operate. So my question is, tell me about your perception of this person. And what that does for me is I take all my interview notes and move it all into themes. And then I'm able to go back to this person and say, the perception is that you yell and they can argue, no, I don't. But my retort is I interviewed 15 people whose names you gave me and all 15 of them perceive that you yell. So it really doesn't matter if you did it or not. They perceive that you did. And that's the fact that we're operating with. So uh, it's a big paradigm shift for everyone. But that's how I'm able to, to get them to see the impact. So as, as leaders, if our job is to you know, motivate and incentivize people to work together towards a common goal and a, achieve the organization's you know, uh, mission, it doesn't matter if I think I'm a jerk or that I'm engaging, I think I'm engaging this behavior. If as a leader, everybody who I'm supposed to be influencing towards a positive goal sees me as an obstacle in that and however I'm behaving, then that's on me. And I, and I just need to, you know, hopefully the, you know, I, as the leader would, will wake up and, and recognize that, uh, you know, I'm the obstacle uh, and I need to change something in how I'm being perceived regardless of what my intent. Exactly. And that, and then the conversation really becomes about, we need to change this perception of you. And it's, you know, maybe it's just mincing words, but it, instead of you're yelling and we need to fix you and you need to go to conflict, you know, or anger management class because you have a problem. It's like, this is how you're perceived. I don't know why, but that's what we're going to discover in coaching. We can think through some different scenarios where you might have been perceived that way and what you were doing um, that caused people to feel that. And then we can figure out how to adjust. So I'm not there to teach them even really emotional intelligence, you know, it's really about that communication. And and I've also discovered another pattern in most of my coaching clients is that they're uh, 
kind of high Ds, right? High I in terms of DIS. Um, and they need the facts and the quick information. And so, you know, it's it's easier for me to help them say, well, we got to tweak the way you are in a meeting. Let's come up with some strategies for that versus here's some fluffy stuff about emotional intelligence, which of course I don't think it's fluffy, but they do. And so I'm not even right. going to go there. <laughs> yeah. I'm a high D and a high I. So I totally, you know, me yeah, too. <laughs> I just need, just give me bullet points, have the information ready. Uh, and With a uh, smile, cause I'm a high not, I. Yeah. Right. And do not write, <laughs> do not write me 15 paragraphs when you can give me six bullet points. And, yeah. and, uh, and I know I, at times in my, career or twice this morning, probably got very uh, impatient uh, with mm -hmm. someone's delivery of information uh, because it could have been 30 seconds and it turned into five minutes. And um, But I think that's one of the values of, of behavioral assessments like DISC or, or other assessments when everybody in the room understands what everybody else's style is and everybody's willing to modify their own behavior to make sure that they're communicating as, as well as they can with uh, with each other. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing us high Ds need to think about. And I, I talk about this in coaching all the time is like, look, you might only want the information in 30 seconds. It's going to take them five minutes because, A, they think about it differently than you. And that's why you pay them. That That's why they're in that role. Um, and also the harm that you cause in forcing them to keep it down to 30 seconds because you're annoyed and you tell them to go away uh, now you've caused a big riff in your relationship. And now, although you were trying to save time, you're actually causing more time for you because now you got to figure out how to repair that. It's going to take them longer to do their job. So a lot of my conversations are around that of like, if your goal is to move quick, part of that has to be the relational part. So let's say we have a, a leader who is at the point where they'll acknowledge, okay, yeah, it sounds like there's an issue here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a long way from from changing that that behavior that's probably, and at least in their mind, helped them be successful, help them get their, uh, to the place where they are currently, uh, even if it won't get them to the next level. What does that conversation look like in helping them understand not just how they're perceived, but the need for uh, that behavior change? Well, so we talk a lot about getting your objectives met. And that's always the one of the many questions I have. I have a probably a set of five questions that I always ask on every question on every call. And one of them is around that. How can you get your objectives met without receiving negative perceptions? So if your objective is to get through a 30 second rundown of somebody's update, how can you get that information you need in a way that doesn't cause negative perceptions. And so then we just start looking at strategies. Could you ask that person to email those updates to you every morning? Could you save time at the end of your day for 30 minutes where you go around to each of your team members and talk to them about the updates? So we develop new ways to, to get things done and get their objectives met that don't harm their relationships. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but- Yeah, it, no, I think yeah. that's great. And that's a really good question. Uh, what you know what let me let me see if i can restate it um what are you getting are you getting the outcomes that you want mm -hmm. from from the behavior you're 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 demonstrating and and uh how how can you change that behavior to get those what are your other questions 
Uh, well, we actually talk a lot about fight and flight. So the rather than talking about emotional intelligence and sort of observing everything everybody's doing, it's more simple than that in order to meet their need to have that quick information. So we just talk about fight or flight. That's in my first coaching call. Um, and so what we talk about is, look, we just went through all this feedback and we can see that people are fleeing you. For example, here's a theme that they make up their own processes to work around you so they don't have to interact with you. They're fleeing. And you can see over here that they've been, you know, here's a, a theme about gossip that they talk about you a lot. So that's them sort of fighting. And then if we look at this theme over here, it says that you, uh, you I'll just keep using yell. You yell a lot. That's you fighting. And then here's this over here where this theme that says that you clam up once you get frustrated, then you don't talk to people for three days. That's you fleeing. And so that's where the conversation. So it's about helping them observe when people are fighting or fleeing. Uh, and then that's their that's the recognition that you need to adjust. So and I challenge actually any listener, it's a fascinating homework assignment. If we all go home and just spend, you know, an hour of our day observing for flight, fight or flight, and you'll see it everywhere. Mike, you said that you're traveling, you're in the airport, you can see someone fighting by getting after the, you know, the plane person, someone else is fleeing, they're in their phone trying to figure out what to do, you know, so there, there's signs of fight or flight all around us. And so it's about helping them pick up those nuances. And then you can say, well, look, if you notice people start crossing their arms and looking down in a meeting, that means they're fleeing which means that you're making them anxious because that they're having an instinct, instinctual reaction to you. And that's your signal. Oop, I'm causing fear and they're reacting to that. And I need to adjust. Yeah. That's interesting because being a high D and a high I, um, I can see where I know, and I've seen over my career where I've got team members who are high A's, high C's, uh, and there you can see when I'm exhibiting, my most natural behavior, uh, which, you know, may also start with a D, but is a different word. Uh, they, where they, they come at me and, and, and where they, where their response, you can see them start to shut down. And especially in an you know, when I'm leading my own senior team, and I'm, I need their input. I need their feedback. I need to hear back from them. Yeah. I have to check myself, take a breath and say, so, you know, I can tell that, you're respond, you know, you're physically responding to what I'm saying in a different way than I expected. Tell me what's going on, and yeah. and then just be quiet and let them, you know, because high I, high D, intuitive and jump. You know, I can see the answer long before I understand how I got to the answer, yeah. and I need to let them process that and listen through it. And so I've seen that, and I've become more attuned to it. So, and that's yeah. really the 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 flight part of what you're talking about. Yep. So to go back to your question about what questions do I ask? Sure, one yeah. is when they talk to me about behavior, I'll say, is that fight or flight? And then they'll have an answer. And sometimes it's both kind of all in one. And then the next question is, well, why? Why are they having that reaction? Why do you think they do that? Um, or, or I'll aim that at them. Well, why do you think you do that? And so it's, you know, just picking through the scenarios and, you know, I'll do, just to give kind of a really simple example. And that's why I love this one. Um, this guy, Joe, that I was coaching was a leader in IT. And when I interviewed everyone, they said big strength was he clearly could see the future almost. You could tell him you wanted to put something in the software 
and he could tell you it was going to fail because he could process all of that in his head and then it would tell you, well, that's going to fail. And, great visionary. You know, yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. And so people recognize that, but they were like, I, but I can't learn if I just am told that's not going to work. And then like, I need to be able to make those mistakes in my own so I can understand why it won't work and things. Um, so we had a lot of conversations around letting people fail because that's how they learn. Um, as long as obviously it's not at the cost of the organization losing millions of dollars. Um, but so right towards the end, we had this conversation about how one of his themes was that in meetings, he was pretty aggressive. And he, you know, it's like, okay, well, why? Why are they saying you're aggressive? And I was so proud of him because he goes, you know, I notice a lot of times when I go into a meeting, it's not my meeting, someone else called it, but I'll sit at the head of the table. And then I'm also realizing that I stand at the whiteboard to whiteboard stuff or IT, but then I end up staying up there. And so I'm through that, he was just kind of coming to the realization that he really takes a power position in a meeting that's not his. And he ends up leading and teaching when his team member is supposed to be in there sharing what they're learning and working on. Um, and so it was just one of those moments where I was like, I'm so proud. <laughs> and it was a, just a real sign. He picked up those real subtle things that he was doing, sitting at the head of the table, standing at the whiteboard. Well, we've been talking a lot about the high D, high I, the aggressive personality, the, the you know, step into your personal space personality. Are there bullies on the other end of that spectrum? Are there ways that people bully that, that we don't, you know, that aren't like physical intimidation or, you know, that aren't really that kind of, that kind of behavior that we think about when we think about bullying? Yeah, we definitely jump to the D, right? When you think yeah. of bullies and I'm, you know, like I said, I'm also high D and I, so I, understand um, their feelings of impatience and things probably makes me a good coach. Um, but yes, so keep in mind, we're generally people aren't using the word bullying unless all three behaviors are present. Um, but it doesn't have to be that the focus is that the yelling, aggressive, crazy. Um, so if you're someone who's more data driven, which I think is the S and the C, right? They're um, they can certainly bully by asking questions in a way that doesn't work by, you know, le asking leading questions that leads, leave someone feeling stupid in front of the rest of the team um, by, you know, so they, they can they're looking for data, but it can certainly come out as bullying if they're not doing it in a kind way. Um, so, yeah, it absolutely you don't have to be a, a high D to be a bully. You can be any of the any of the four. And would would that the you know I've I've seen kind of passive aggressive behaviors from people who aren't you know using a physical intimidation or yelling or screaming necessarily, but just with you know withdrawal of cooperation, uh, being that 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 very you know kind of very passive uh, casual approach to serious issues that need to be dealt with. Uh, would that qualify uh, as bullying in, in, in your definition? Yeah, that, that falls under the manipulation category for sure. But again, it's got to be all three. So just to give an example of that, the reason I do what I do is I was in HR working with a peer who was bullying. So that was that peer to peer you were asking about earlier. And he bullied people in his department. I felt like he definitely got kind of aggressive with the president. Um, and one of his many bullying behaviors was he was essentially operation. So he ordered the office supplies. And if you wanted an office supply, 
you basically had to make a case for it. I just remember one time, for example, I'm HR, so I got someone crying in my office and I offer her my Kleenex box, who, which I had just gotten a couple days ago from the bully. Here, take this back to your office. You'll be okay. And then I go back to the guy. Could I get another tissue box? It, why? Where, where's the tissue box I gave you? you know, it, I gave it to this person. She was crying. Will you let her know that if she needs tissue, she needs to ask me about it? <laughs> it's like, wow. okay, but that's not how it works. You know, so there was some aggressive snarkiness there, but it was more about the, the control of that. And so that was a passive aggressive way to have control, right? By controlling the office supplies. We actually called him the posted Nazi. Oh, the post yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of us have worked with, and we've worked with probably people who, you know, have just that little shred of power in the organization. Mm -hmm. and, and by golly, they're going to exercise it every chance they get. And, right. uh, and we don't probably think about them as bullies as much, but uh, they certainly, you know, to get what they want, which is probably... Uh, some recognition of their own authority or their, you know, and maybe to something as basic as just recognition of their value as an employee, but they're, they're not getting it. So they're going to act out, right. uh, which leads to how much does a culture incentivize bullying? I mean, you know, um, you know, are there, are there cultures where bullying is going to be more encouraged versus otherwise, because I think about sales cultures uh, being one where bullying is is probably, you know, unfortunately, people are, are more, as long as the results are there, people are more willing to, to put up with that behavior. Do you see that there are different kinds of cultures where that, uh, where it's more tolerated? Yeah, well, there's risk factors, just like, you know, with harassment, which I know is a term more of us are familiar with, if, if you have um, mostly men and two females work at an organization, that's a risk factor. Those two women are likely to be sexually harassed. Um, and so there's similar factors when it comes to bullying. So for example, organizations that are high competition, like sales, uh, organizations that are bureaucratic or ha are very rule oriented, facilitate bullying because people are a frustrated by the hoops they have to jump through. And it also makes it easy to bully. You know, well, I, I'm not going to, you know, sign off on this document that you need signed just to get an updated parking pass because I don't like you kind of a thing. Um, organizations that have a lot of employees who've worked together for a long time, are that's a risk factor, kind of an us versus them sort of thing that begins to happen. Um, so I could go on and on, but I, I will say this, ultimately it is about how much the organization's willing to tolerate. And you mentioned this earlier where someone who bullies um, kind of believes it's gotten them as far as it has, but it's not a belief. It's a fact. They are often seen as very highly valuable for whatever reason. They're the rainmaker. They have a lot of organizational knowledge. They have the right relationships out there. Um, and so what the narrative is, is that HR has been hearing the complaints, telling leaders about it, and leaders are going, eh, it's okay because they they do all this, which was my situation. The guy had been there for 14 years. It's okay, you know, He just be the bigger person. He's fine, you know, don't worry about it. Um, yeah, and that's so, just Joe, we all know Joe. Yeah, exactly, and we, you know, exactly. We just, so, <laughs> exactly, so as long as the organization takes that stance, bullying and all sorts of other things are gonna happen too, you know, and, and that's where the risk comes in as HR knows if, you know, and if you're 
tolerating that behavior, people probably are assuming you're tolerating sexual harassment or other bad things. So they're probably not going to tell you about the other stuff also. Um, so it, it is a culture thing. And I'll also say too, um, that comes up a lot in my coaching where the organization is not providing this person who's bullying the things that they need to be successful, like training on how to have the right conversations, um, talking with them about, hey, we want you to meet expectations, but not at the expense of your team. You know, don't leave a trail of bodies behind. We need you to do we hate it? We need to adjust the expectations because you're not able to meet them unless you're killing people on the way. You know, so there's a lot of organizational things that are missing um, that are actually facilitating the bullying and organizations need to look at themselves. And I, I know we're coming up on time. I'll just say this last thing. You know, you mentioned investigations earlier. And what I always say is we use investigations as a way to prove or disprove or try to understand did illegal behavior happen or not? And then the organization needs to do a second look and say, what did we do or not do that caused someone to get to a point where they used a word like a hostile work environment? You know, so organizations aren't looking at themselves enough. I think they get we get real focused on the the people, but they did it in your organization. So what did you do? Organization. And the organization itself it goes back to that culture issue. Right. I mean, that's just. You know what have what if what has the rest of leadership done, and what have they tolerated, and uh, and you know how they've been rewarded? What what kind of behavior are we incentivizing and rewarding? So one last question then. Let's say we get through this, we get to this leader who, uh, you know, is has these issues, who's uh, you know creating this this toxic environment or this bullying environment uh, to get what they need or want out of the or you know out of the organization the way they want it anyway. But we either can't bring them to the self-awareness that their behavior needs to change or they just can't do it. At what point does the organization take a next step? How do you know when, you know, what to do next? Do we de do we really want to fire our most successful salesperson because he's a jerk? Or, you know, what do those calculations look like? And, and you know, where do you draw that line? Yeah. So I don't take on a coaching client unless the organization has agreed to give this person a consequence. And it doesn't have to be fired. Sometimes the conversation is just, look, you've gotten pretty far because you're good at what you do, but I know you want to be at the next level and I can't put you there because of your behavior. And so that could be the consequence that like you've hit a ceiling as long as you continue to act that way. Another simple example, I had a, it was a construction company uh, who had a foreman who'd been there for 20 years. And normally organizations aren't spending coaching dollars on a foreman, but he was important. And he had a construction truck that was all tricked out and everybody knew he had this thing and they were going to take it. You know, you can't drive that thing anymore. Someone else will get to drive it. Uh, um, that was a that was a consequence. So part and this is where my coaching definitely really differs from others, where I really partner with the organization in, in a very big way, more so than other coaches. So then it becomes, look, you're going to put a consequence in place. You're going to say, I don't want to give you that consequence. I just you have to, I have to put it there because I've allowed it all this time. And so I do need to know by putting that consequence in place, I need you to know that this is serious. I am having to draw a line. Um, but we found you a coach. She's going to help you. Um, and I'm going to hold you accountable. So then it, it's on the organization. To, so I 
essentially coaching is is partly me helping the organization draw that line. And I part of my sort of sales, I say with air quotes, is really confirming, are you ready to draw a line? Otherwise, I'm going to fail. And so they're they have to be motivated intrinsically, but also the organization has to make it clear that this is going down, you know, if they don't, if they don't change. That's great. Well, that's all the time we have today, but thank you, Catherine, for, for joining me and talking about this. Yeah. Thank you. I could go another hour and a half. Shall we? No, I'm just kidding. Well, Thanks for having it. me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do another episode for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Catherine. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.